Thank you so much for joining us tonight on culture, on culture Wednesday Night Wrestling. That's what we're calling it from now on. Wednesday Night Wrestling. You are, of course, invited to call in at any time. Talk wrestling. Talk anything you want, of course. But we'll be talking wrestling. We'll be previewing AEW tonight. We'll be talking about some of the shows that went on this weekend, including uh, PWG as well as Impact. We'll be talking all the big news. We'll be talking that Eric Eric Bischoff running his mouth and CM Punk uh, clapping back. We'll talk all of it. Be sure to share the show. Let people know that we're here, that we're talking wrestling. Because I love talking wrestling with you. I like having a nice community where we can have some sensible conversations about professional wrestling. I know it's bad out there on the street, Twitter streets in wrestling, uh, in wrestling talk. There was a little bit of a controversy this week, and I already alluded to it, where Eric Bischoff uh, gave his opinion on AEW, and I do have uh, some of the clips up, and I can pull it some up now, I'll listen to it, along with you, you tell me what you think, and Eric Bischoff, of course, was the, I don't know, was he general manager of WCW during its time on top, 83 weeks, only 83 weeks, that's an uh, where they were able to beat WWF at the time in the ratings. The name of his podcast is 83 Weeks. I don't think 83 weeks of beating, you know, the competition is a, is a lot to hang your hat on. I'm <laughs> being honest with you. I've been doing this podcast a lot longer than 83 weeks. But Eric Bischoff thinks that's those, those 83 weeks really, really uh, meant a lot. So I'll play this a uh, quick, I'll play a clip of him trying to uh, explain why he thinks uh, what he thinks about AEW and what they're missing. Uh, Brad Stanton wants to know what's everyone's obsession with being the next NWO, the next Goldberg, the next Rock. Don't you think things end for a reason, and creative and fans should concentrate more on first? Yeah, I do, but that's hard to come by, right? And it's not that you know people want the next rock or they want the next version of NWO or they want the next version of, you know, John Cena or anything else. What they want is the next version of that level of excitement. That's what they want. That's what they're missing. That's why you, you know, see people forming factions that are in one way, shape or form. Um, some of them more obvious than others, you know, take the bullet club. Is that not a obvious, I don't want to say rip off, but derivative of the NWO, we got everybody running around for the two sweet sign up. All right, so pause, pause. First and foremost, the NWO itself, itself. Eric Bischoff, and he's talked about this before. He got it from Japan. He got it from the he got the idea from the invasion angles in Japan, UWF versus uh, New Japan. I think uh, one other. So the NWO itself was not a wholly original idea but he already starts off with this kind of knock at the bullet club like yeah they borrowed from the nwo but the nwo borrowed from uwf and you know dx borrowed from nwo everybody borrows from everybody it's not unusual and matt uh i see you're back are you uh go ahead unmute yourself and matt please introduce yourself because you have quite a history cool cool. uh no but i i wrote for the wwe in 2016 2017 uh, I came back out in LA in 2017, and uh, as I've gotten Got back, back, especially from the pandemic, pandemic. Uh, big into PWG and uh, GCW. PWG, I kind of re got into 
GCW was is brand new for me, so it's been uh, very exciting. But post, um, I guess we know we're still in it and all that stuff. But like this, this, this re- last year or so of of indie wrestling in LA has gotten really hot, really fast. It's been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it looks looks sick. I've been looking at your photos. I used one uh, for the show. All sorts of people passing through uh, the West Coast. I knew back in the day it used to be hard because tickets were so uh, expensive. Like it was a big issue to get like women's wrestlers. Like PWG would never have anybody for Candace to wrestle because all the women were, you know, on the East Coast or in the Midwest and they want to fly them in. But it seems like it's, it's getting a little bit easier and there's a bit more East Coast. Uh, a lot of people from the West Coast would come East, but not a lot of people East would come West. But it seems like that's picked up a bit. Yes, I think so. Well, that, GCW is like an East Coast promotion. I believe it's a Jersey promotion. Uh, but See, I don't even know where they're, where they're based at. And they sell it every time. And they also have opened up a, um, uh, a, a like smaller version of the promotion called LA Fights, which is really great. And they bring in a lot of the Vegas people because Vegas indie wrestling is also pretty hot. They've got future stars of wrestling out there. Um, they got a lot of great people in Vegas. Uh, that's where Kevin Cross like kind of came from before he got ruined by NXT. Um, but it's just yeah, people are flying around all over the place, and there's like all these local people. Um, people like uh, I don't know if you've seen Dark Sheik, but she's amazing. She started Hood Slam in, in the Bay Area, and like she's just starting to really catch on with the GCW audience. And uh, uh, she just I don't know. The second I saw her, I was like, dude, she's like my gal. She's awesome. And, uh, and she's killing on GCW. I mean, that's still the, the primary difference between GCW and PWG right now is that uh, GCW will do a lot of uh, intergender matches, and uh, PWG is still, uh, as far as I can tell, a strictly male uh, uh, indie promotion. All right. So tell me about uh, this show that you uh, you were posting pictures of with uh, Gresham and Bandito and Speedball. Well, tell me about that. Yeah, that that was delivering the goods. It was uh, such a great show. Uh, like, yeah, John Gresham. Right now, to me, John Gresham is like the guy to watch. I love, like, like I saw him um, and uh, at a at a GCW show against Suzuki, and they it, like him and Suzuki just like realistically worked like one armbar, not even transitions, but like one armbar for like seven minutes, and it just worked because they're both so realistic and. And they play it so well. And and as a as a photographer, I like to take photos of these things. Something about John Gresham too is he is just a um, like every every you know he just doesn't waste any space. So every moment is photographable. Like everything he does, you just it, it's like it's like the, the he's like a magazine cover just because the way he always like projects and he's not the fastest. I mean he does he does a few flips and stuff, but he uh, he he waits to explode. So him and uh, Kevin Blackwood, who's a young guy who's having a great run right now. Uh, they had just an incredible title match where Kevin Blackwood's like the striker against like Gresham who's trying to like keep things grounded and uh, Kevin Blackwood's kind of like being a little disrespectful so Gresham had to put him in his place and uh, just that that match was incredible. We also had the big thing there was Biff Busick coming to PWG. Now oh, when yes. I was um, when I wrote for um, WWE as at NXT when Biff was Oni Lorcan that was like. Like there was like three TV tapings in a row where he just got himself busted open hard way because that guy just works his ass off. I mean, he's like a he's like Biff is a fucking goblin, and um, he's just the most incredible. I just love his intensity. And then he's been up. We went up against Speedball Bailey, 
which Mike Bailey, do you know, do you know about Mike Bailey? Have you heard about all oh, kind of I know. Oh, I know a lot about Mike Bailey. I've been following him. Uh, Vela Scott is someone I've been I've known for quite a while. His uh, soon-to-be uh, partner. I'm very excited uh, for yeah. both of them, and that they're finally able to be together. And then uh, Speedball Mike Bailey can yes wrestle again in the United States because he was banned for years. Yeah, I, th- I think I was told five years, and he was off my ra- he was definitely off my radar radar because I think he was an East Coast guy. And then, then the the second I saw him in a GCW show, uh, he just just every match he has, he just totally crushes in a different way. And he also is like, he had that that uh, WrestleMania weekend where he had something like nine matches, and they were all from all accounts, fantastic. I saw. Oh yeah, them. I saw um, several he, of them. Yeah, yeah, and he just I don't. It, it's so funny because on paper, I look at that gimmick and I look at his like the way he is, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like this like fake karate guy thing it just kind of turns me off but then by by the middle of the match i'm going nuts because it's just he just he draws you in he's a, he's a great baby face he's actually a really decent heel uh his moves are incredible his timing's incredible he just is awesome and then him and biff just like they had this crazy match where biff music right now is calling out super dragon and so he wears a super dragon mask and it gives him like evil powers <laughs> and, then, and then mike bailey grabbed the mask and it gave him the evil super dragon powers and uh, man, you, you know, like you, you, you know, of course, what's great about an indie show is you get to be right next to him, and they were brawling right next to where the where, where I was taking some pictures from, and uh, uh, man, they are just beating the hell out of each other. Really, really intense, great match by those two. Oh, I'm a huge, huge Speedball Bailey fan. I've been uh, I've been following his like I was following him on Twitch really. I because him and Veda, what every time they would be able to be together, they would do these Twitch streams, and he would always stream tons and tons of Joshi. And that's how you know that he's going to be a bad motherfucker. Anybody who watches tons of Joshi is going to be a top level professional wrestler. Um, and that's you know he has such a diverse style. He can do absolutely. Anything in the ring, out of the ring, high flying, shoot style. He he's done it all. I he's one of my uh, favorite uh, guys to watch now. And hey, he's signed with Impact Wrestling, actually a company that I feel a lot more people need to talk about. This past weekend, they had their big Under Siege event. Uh, Matt, do you ever get a chance to check out Impact? You know, it's so funny. I I think that I'm like my heart is tainted towards impact because of just what it was at one yes. point. Um, and, and I, but when you look at the talent they have, especially now that they got the, um, the Briscoes too, like, uh, cause the Briscoes to me are just like the, they're, they're just one of the best tag teams I've ever seen live. Uh, they're just so fantastic and wild, but they're so like, they seem wild, but they're really just good. Yes. Um, and so they're at impact too. And you got Bailey at impact. I heard, um, Who's the announcer that just got that just got signed by Impact as well? Oh, I they have a I, new announcer. They meant I, I don't know. Somebody mentioned someone who went from WWE that they shouldn't have let go. I think yes. I don't I, I don't know the gentleman's name, but uh, but somebody was mentioning like, oh no, this guy was really good, and he's gone over to Impact. Impact has picked up a lot of high level talent. I want to talk about the show a little bit, and I want to preface this by saying I was also a TNA number one hater i never thought i would become like an impact guy a tna guy but they have been good for several years i think probably since 
the Billy Corgan, Bobby Lashley era, they've been pretty, pretty consistently good. And right now, I think they are consistently better than WWE. And if you watch, you know, the pay-per-views and the shows week to week, a lot of times they they can be a little bit better than AEW. So I really hope people uh, check it out. I just want to talk a little bit uh, about the show. So uh, some of the matches on the show, Giselle, uh, Giselle Shaw, who is a great wrestler that is uh, on Impact. Impact has like had like three women's matches on this show. A ton. They have an amazing women's division. She uh, defeated Madison Rain in a very, very good match. Chris Sabin, who has been wrestling for forever. And is better than ever. Uh, had a great match with Steve Macklin. Uh, Taya Valkyrie uh, def- uh, defended the AAA Reina de Reina's Championship versus Diana Perrazzo. A second uh, uh, women's match on the show. Ace Austin, Trey Miguel for the Impact Championship. Amazing. A match that a lot of people have been talking about, though. Honor No More versus Bullet Club. It was the Bullet Club's uh, anniversary last week. And there was supposed to be a big celebration. And then the Honor No More faction made up of former Ring of Honor guys who are fighting in Impact. Uh, Eddie Edwards, Kenny King, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, uh, Vincent, and Marina Canellis. They were in a 10-man match with the Bullet Club of Jay White, Chris Bay, Doc Gallows, El Fantasmo, and Carl Anderson. So there ain't no B-team Bullet Club. That's that's A-team Bullet Club wrestling on Impact. And Honor No More... We're the victors, and everybody was talking about this. A lot of, you know, I would have to say casual wrestling fans were like, well, shouldn't the Bullet Club win? No, the Bullet Club always wins. They've won enough. They've, they're established. They're here. Let the new factions come out. The Bullet Club has had their time, but they need some other people to work with. You don't want an NWO situation going on, so Honor No More took the cake, and they cut a pretty good, damn good promo after the fact, and I'll uh, play it right now. Awesome. Oh, boy. <laughs> the Bullet Club. You come and you go, much like anybody that Honor No More faces. You step to us. That's Eddie Edwards. Get dismissed. They can change. So we want Switchblade, Too Sweet, Woo Woo, over and over. It doesn't matter. In the end, honor no more will remain victorious. All that battle just proved. Kenny King. That squad up five on five. The Bullet Club is all bark and no bang. So I hope you Capcom squads know that ain't nothing sweet about honor no more. Nine years. Matt Taven. Nine years of my life. Everywhere I go, everywhere I turn, I hear that Bullet Club music. Well, guess what? We proved to you guys that Impact Wrestling is ours, not yours. And Jay White, you like to walk around like a little Melvin saying, you sold out Madison Square Garden. Well, guess what? Only one man walked out the world champion, and he is I, and I am him, and I am Matt Taven. Carl and b- 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 boys. <laughs> you see, that's what happens when you don't keep your, your lies to yourself. But as for me and the missus, we might go back to the hotel room and celebrate, and that's just too sweet. <laughs> bullet Club. You guys shot the last bullet in your chamber. Vincent. And you've missed. Dig what I'm saying, man? Oh, I feel like celebrating. Oh yeah, I dig it. I like it. I like some pe- uh, more other people can get a little bit of that swagger that the Bullet Club has been, you know, hoarding for the past few years. Let let's get some new blood in there. I like that. 
I liked it, and I like Vincent getting the last line because I think he's the least known of all the possibly, you know, the most interesting. For people who haven't seen Vincent, he's like his gimmick is almost like a Char, uh, like Brody King mixed with Charles Manson. I think is a pretty good uh, explanation for uh, who he is as a character. I like this faction. I like the call from Impact. I know everybody knocks Impact for making what people think are the wrong calls because impact is kind of like a dark universe where heels win a lot of matches that you don't think they should win. But I think it, it worked in this uh, example and bullet club are heels anyway. So who gives a shit? Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, like, you know, I do a, I do a podcast called get it again. where We're watching thunder from start to finish. Oh, and, for, uh, for, and, our, and, our, and wait a minute. Are you, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. Yeah. You're watching. Thun- I love watching Dunther. is going i remember watching it back in the day i mean like this show sucks but now when i go back and watch it i'm like man this is pretty all consistently good and entertaining tv for the most part <laughs> well i will say there's a big shift from when, when you lose bobby the brain he did on commentary it's also when kevin nash gets the book and and we are on, oh like, yes the slide right now it's, oh gosh yes but, but one of the things talking about, like uh, you know, getting this uh, this uh, honor to more over Bullet Club, what was the best part of the NWO was when NWO kind of got usurped by Red and Black, and that was the hottest it ever got. And I think that you got to keep ratcheting people over that old group because um, you can't stay on top forever. Because but then of course what happened? Uh, Hogan wanted to be Red and Black, and then everybody wanted to be Red and Black, and then. <laughs> then there was no black and white. Then there was like a jabroni black and white. It was like a it turned the jabroni into a black, black and white was was heartbreaking. That was truly, truly heartbreaking. What they did to the color, their original colors, the OG colors. They never should have let the old dudes into the red and black and kept it separate. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this about the OG, uh, the, the 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 black and white as it is now. Because right now it's Brian Adams, the wrestler, uh, Stevie Ray, Vincent. This is where we're watching Vincent and. Uh, Horace Hogan, which is just like, it's the B squad, but Stevie Ray, man, is, is he's so one funny. of the most underrated dudes that people don't talk about. He was fucking good. He was good. Uh, his promos were real. He's a big dude. Uh, you know, for his size, he could work pretty well. Man, he, he could have had in the right place at the right time. He really could have been world champ. I believe that. Oh yeah. I can see it too. And Stevie, he, I, one, my favorite thing about thunder that I remember usually was Stevie ways, Stevie Ray's commentary. He was so funny on commentary. I remember, I think maybe that was in the later era, but that was the highlight hearing him uh, talk trash. I, I go back and listen to his uh, podcast. Sometimes he has great stories, it's much easier to listen to than Booker T's because Booker T is a little bit too uh, corporate uh, yeah. right now. But uh, Stevie Ray, he's pretty fun. Yeah, see, I'm a big Stevie Ray fan. Like that's like cause I I didn't have cable growing up, so like I missed a lot of WCW and I missed a lot of the attitude era WWF. Really, when SmackDown came on, that's when an old network TV me could start really watching oh, wrestling yeah. intensely. Let me so, tell you something. I didn't have cable. I my homeboy would record the shows for me that night and then give me a vhs of it i'll watch it home the next day man all that all that tape training all that extra steps we had to go through there's so much wrestling right now and it and it's a blessing right it's yeah but there's something about like waiting for champion carnival 96 to come in the mail <laughs> and then you just wore that tape out because it's the only one you had i know wrestling. Well, uh, well, it was me and, dream, me and dream me and dream slam 
Yeah, uh, when I got Dream Slam, I've wa- I watched that show like so many times. Now I buy pay per views and I haven't even watched. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, but crazy. I don't know. It, 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 but we are at a lucky time. I do think we're in a special time with with wrestling because I'll tell you the other thing about AEW and PWG is that like you will watch AEW, you will see Malachi Black in front of a, a full arena of people, and then the next Saturday. We're sitting here at the Globe Theater in Los Angeles in front of like 500 people, and you see Malachi Black, you know, working his ass off in a tag match with Brody King, and it's just like to see that to see that like these TV guys and gals like just in your local indie promotion. We got a great like at GCW, we got Thunder Rosa versus Tony Deppin, which is just like a the chemistry on that is like such a perfect matchup. Tony Deppin's such a great like he's a kind of the ultimate indie shit heel right now. Um, and him and Thunder Rosa just worked so well. Yeah, I love see the the way like as you said, like it is something special that AEW is on TV, and then that very weekend, these people are in your hometown. I think that's a beautiful thing for wrestling. It, it personally, like uh, when Trisha Dora was on Rampage, the very next day, I was her ring announcer. Like. What the fuck? You know, that yeah. is that's so baffling uh, to me. So that I think that is one great thing that Tony Khan is doing that WWE could do but doesn't do. That Impact has been kind of fussy about in the past. I don't know what their status is now, but, you know, they have been, you know, kind of shifty about that shit before. But with AEW being very open with that, I love it. And the fact that these wrestlers do have the time off and can go explore and do these other things, I also think is cool, too. I like, I like, I know some people, it's a controversial topic. It comes up again and again. The fact that AEW does not put the same people on TV uh, consistently week in, week out, or month in, month out, and some great, if you win a feud, you might not be on TV for a, a few months. It has a it has negative consequences, but it also has a little bit of positives too because you get to see these people work different promotions and do a lot of stuff there. It is it is the one my my and I do love rotating people in and off AEW TV, but I gotta say I constantly my my poochie in the wrestling world in my heart is where's Miro? I just want to know where the hell Miro yes. is. I miss him. He is so he is such a great promo. He's so so much credibility in that AEW roster as, like, the biggest monster there. Uh, I just miss Miro, and I, and I hope he comes back soon. Yeah, Miro, I, I love Miro. He is really cool. I don't, it's like, man, it's like, I don't know what Tony kind of thing is. Like, he's so good that what can you do but put the world title on him at this point? And maybe he's just not ready uh, to do it yet. Because um, if you put him in the O and he has to win it, maybe. I don't know, he already has to get close. I mean, he was just... He was so on fire as TNT champion, and he had to yeah. lose it to somebody at some point. But then what? Yeah, because because once you once you turn him loose, like he he kind of got to work his way up to Hangman, and I'm like I think it, you know I think they could also just pull the trigger way late on that and get to Hangman Miro at some point. Uh, but I feel like once you do that, you kind of got to have Miro win, and 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 then he becomes like because. I think I actually do think AEW right now, with the amount of star power they have, I think having a big heel champion like a not like not like a Ric Flair, but like a Miro would be great because then you just toss you know you toss your your Daniel uh, your Brian Danielson at him, you toss your Mox at him, you toss you know uh, Darby at him, you toss you know Wardlow at him, and then uh, 
you know, like then when he when somebody finally gets over on him, that's going to be a big big deal. It's kind of the opposite of um, you know, like uh, how WWE kind of wants to run it with, with the big face champ. But I think I think it'd be really effective at AEW. All right, so folks, what do y'all think? Please feel free to get your calls in before we close out our show tonight. If you have any questions about wrestling, if you want to talk about anything else, AEW, PWG, anything we've covered tonight or haven't covered tonight. Oh, you want to talk about the Kota, Kota Ibushi comments. This is some wild and disturbing stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I hesitate to get too deep into it because I am doing it on a translation from some 23-year-old who so far seems very, a 24-year-old who so far seems very trustworthy and accurate, but I'm not fluent in Japanese myself, so I can't uh, vouch for all the translations. But generally speaking, Koda is very, very, very unhappy with New Japan. They've apparently pushed him uh, to return from injury much faster than he was able to do uh to do so safely and this isn't the first time it's happened and it possibly resulted in him re-injuring himself he's talking about how poor his uh condition is and they still keep pushing him to come back to the ring and at a certain point uh someone in management was like well why don't we just end your contract and at Kolobushi was like yeah why don't you fucking do that so uh he's going through it but i we all we support the worker here we support koda we hope he does does you know he gets healthy we hope he gets out of his contract if he wants out and we hope he you know what happy and healthy life for uh koda outside of new japan and we hope new japan does fucking better right because i you know i i feel like in all that's happened in the last couple of years and, and wrestling has been exciting in the last couple of years it one of the saddest things about it is i feel like new japan's cooled off in a way that like where wrestle kingdom used to be the biggest show of the year like the past like maybe even four five six years ago and it's just cooled off and i and, and maybe part of the reason it's cooled off so much is they're you know, dicking over their talent too much and, and not giving them enough leeway and, uh, you know, all the things that Coda's talking about. Because also, it also seems like the other wrestlers either keeping mum about it or, or kind of like saying little things that kind of support Coda's case here. Yeah, I I don't think anybody would be shocked uh, to hear that uh, Jap- uh, of a Japanese promotion pushing somebody to return from injury uh, too early that's not uh, a shocking uh, revelation at all there were some other things some more innuendos we don't have to get into it on here you can read it on the dirt sheets um, but Kota Ibushi not happy with New Japan not a joke not an angle he was very serious about it and I do want to say some a lot of people think that Kota Ibushi keep talking about Kota Ibushi like he's like a, a child or like a little kid because like he posts you know in a quirky style but that's just like him that's just like a lot of people post in a quirky style but he's like a real person a real human being so take that seriously and we hope the best for Kota absolutely all right, folks, if you want to get your calls in, then please feel free to do so. Hit us up on the line before we call it a night. AW Dynamite tonight. Big, big show. Big card. But you've been going back and watching Thunder, right? And I was going back and watching a Nitro. And just a random Nitro. I think I, t- I picked a 90, January 12th, 1998. Just at random. Just uh-huh. to see what was going on. And the first match is uh steve flynn versus goldberg and it's a fucking heater it is sick it is like a great 
shoot style match. Very fast, very quick. Steve Flynn, for people who don't know, one of the most badass wrestlers that ever lived, got his start in um, Fujiwara Gumi uh, in Japan, a precursor to, I think a precursor to Pancrase. So old school shoot style wrestler, ends up in WCW for a bit, has lots of matches with Goldberg, who has a little bit of MMA training or background that he uses. You know, he likes to do those knee bars and stuff even back in the day. And they have a really cool, quick match that showed off what both of they can do. It was back and forth. It was not a squash match, but Goldberg still won in like under two minutes. And I'm like, AEW needs more of those matches because even though this show looks really big, it still is only like Seven matches in two hours. You can do. Uh, yeah, me see. Yeah, seven matches in two hours. You can do a few more than that. You can make. I feel yeah. like a lot of AEW matches are two commercial break matches, two segment matches that don't need to be. You can show because these wrestlers are very talented. They have very big personalities. They can get over what they're doing in five minutes or less a lot you can or you know i i know that goes against the indie ethos of you know the longer the better but that's not always the case i think you can shorten these matches and that way you get more women's matches on the show because the other thing that stands out on this card again only one woman's match and i don't know how many times i can say it if you're only putting one woman's match on the show you are saying that the women don't matter like it has you have to it if a women's division is going to work as it does in Impact, where they had three women's matches on their pay-per-view, right? And they have the women in their gender matches and in the main events and all this stuff on a consistent basis. The promotion has to show that they take the women as seriously as the men for it to work, for the, a women's division to work. That's why basically the only American women's division that has ever worked is Impact because no other promotion has done it. I don't really think the WWE division, even during the revolution, really counts. I don't think AEWs really count as a division that really works. Not until you have it doesn't it's not gonna be fifty fifty. I know that. But you need to make the perception that it's like fifty fifty. And you can't do that if you only have one match. You can get away with two. Three would be better. But you can get well, away let with me, two. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me let me make one one controversial argument. I do think that during NXT's prime time, I do think that the women's division there there wasn't I don't think I I would never, I don't think I'd say it's fifty fifty. But because the standard takeover pay per view was was five matches, that one women's match had such a big impact, and it was as over or more over than every other match. Which I and they they were one of the first to give them like real main events with you know Bailey and Sasha, and I think even like the Oscar run, Ember Moon run. Um, uh, I, I I stand that I stand that the NXT women's division was very very uh, solid and 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 a big part of the show, and I think part of the perception being that they only had five takeover matches so it didn't feel so sequestered yeah you mentioned you just mentioned uh, uh athena ember moon yes the the, the, the way the where, where i learned that game about you know how the promotion has to treat the women with full with as equals in order for the fans to ever pick up on it i got that game from acw anarchy championship wrestling which is where uh, the indie promotion where athena i don't know if she got her start there but she made she became you know like as great as she is there because they had a absolutely fantastic women women's division and they would fly in when they would sp their budget for fly-ins was mostly for women even though it was a mostly male promotion 
Um, but they would fly in Cerro del Rey, you know what I mean? Yeah. And all the guys would be local. You know, they would, would fly in the Chris Hero too, but it was also Portia Perez, Nicole Matthews, like all these people, Mischief, all these women who were in Shimmer and, and, you know, in Florida and all these promotions, they would fly them in. So they really created the perception for the fans in Austin, Texas, the men and the women are equal partners here in this thing even if it's not exactly you know 50 50 and it it worked so well and and the thing is like they because they were they treated the women with respect they could also be like raunchier like it was an ecw level raunchy promotion but the fans like were still respectful because it was you know they took it seriously it was a very uh well done i would highly recommend people check out anarchy championship wrestling on youtube because all your old phase were that ach chris hero i think danielson maybe done, did a match or two ricky starks hey he's main eventing tonight he did a bunch of shit in anarchy championship wrestling he'll be taking on jungle boy for the FTW championship. Now, who who you got for this, Matt? Do you think Jungle Boy is taking the FTW uh, championship from Team Taz? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, I, have a, I have my issues with the FTW championship. I think at the time when they had it, it was like, oh, they want to have a secondary belt. But they do have so many secondary belts now where I'm just like, why is this here? It's like a gimmick personal belt. They really don't need it. They've got so much like other things that they can work with, and they can run stories without belts. All that being said, when when, when it runs up there, I kind of think Ricky Starks needs to keep it because I th- I thought they were leading towards uh, Swerve getting the belt, and I love the idea of Swerve with a gimmick belt. Um, I think that, like, really works because he could, like, build it up in a way that Ricky Starks is not building that belt up enough or, like, challenging enough for it or, like, what does that belt mean? Like, why does that belt, like, you know – I do think a belt needs to have a certain level of personality. Like in, in, you know, WWE, the intercontinental championship is like the workman's belt. Um, you know, like in the ECW prime, like when the, the, the TV championship was like the, 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 the mid card, like pre intermission belt, you know, it's like, um, they need to have just like a little more personality. And I, and I want more personality out of that belt. And I, and I, and I, I think Ricky should keep it. Cause I don't think jungle boys, the the fellow to give that belt the personality it needs well see i dig the ftw belt because i take it as like this is the team taz belt if you got that belt you're the leader of team taz i actually think they should maybe even have more i would like to see like the uh the combat club maybe not a belt a trophy or something like that you know i i would be cool with more than one faction having their own shit that they fake defend against people like jungle boy because obviously jungle boy he's 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 gonna fall to the numbers game here uh but i like i like it i dig it i like that you know ricky starks is taking shit seriously and for me the personality is this is team taz this is who we are we have our own belt nobody's gonna take it from us come and try I, I dig that angle to it. And that was how Taz used it originally, really, because he didn't, he he would go around and carry it, say, I was the, I'm the real ECW champion. And even though he didn't build the belt up necessarily, nobody was bad enough to take it from him for a really long time. And so it was a different, it's kind of like an anti belt. It's like a reverse belt, if, if you will. It's not about winning, it's about taking it from somebody else. Right. Well, in that case, I I wish it was on Powerhouse Hobbs then, 
Um, oh yes, I, I think and Ricky Starks is great and a great you know I, I I love I love Ricky Starks, but man Hobbs has upside in that company. Like I mean, truly, like as far as like young dudes that you really want to pin your 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 show on, it's like him and Wardlow uh, have so much uh, possible. Like they 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 could do anything in that company if they if they just keep their head straight and and get the right pushes. Yeah. Also tonight, three Owen Hart uh, tournament matches. Adam Cole versus Dax Harwood. No, hey, that one can go two seconds. All right, I'm, make that one long, uh, Tony. That's a good one. That's a nice and good one. Uh, I'm really excited. I've loved basically every Adam Cole match I've seen in AEW, and that's from someone who was not an Adam Cole fan until he came to AEW. Basically, Dax Hardwood has absolutely he's won me over like he's won everybody over in the ring on Twitter. Beautiful man. I love seeing him wrestle. That should be a barn burner. I, I'm I'm actually curious how it's going to go because I the um if you're going to do a Cinderella story in the Owen Hart uh, tournament, I think Dax has to be your guy. Like he, he's the, he's pa- part of a tag team. He's not the hottest singles you have in that tournament, which is like stacked. And if you get him to the finals as the Cinderella story, I think you could do something with it. That being said, I feel like Adam Cole has to go over here. All right, I'm gonna put my money on Dax personally. I'm I'm rooting for Dax. All right, Darby Allen versus. Jeff Hardy, is it time for the generation shift, or is this just a tease for the eventual pay-per-view match? I'm thinking it's going to be the tease. I'm thinking Jeff's going to win this, and then Darby's going to come and get his revenge later in a bigger match. I, you know, the something I think this might be a good time, and I might be wrong for this. I think it might be a good time to turn Darby heel. I think you got something where he does something kind of shitty to the legend Jeff Hardy, the guy he loves and respects, and he does something to get over on Jeff in a way that's bad, and then maybe old Papa Sting doesn't Sting's love it. Disappointed. And then, uh, Darby yeah. kind of like does some bad shit to both those guys. I mean, Darby's a tough sell for a heel because of his size. However, um, he's got uh, I don't know, like this would be if they're gonna do something like that, this would be the time to do it with Jeff here. Oh, Darby's easy. I think Darby can, I mean, he has a skateboard. I really, all he needs is weapons, and he, I think he's fine uh, as a heel. He's he's the Joker, baby. That's all he's got to do. He's just, he's crazy. He'll do anything. But right. I, I I was thinking the same thing. Like, I, I don't know if tonight's tonight, but in this feud, if he has a feud with Jeff Hardy, yeah, he's going to be the heel. Obviously, has to be. And maybe not a big turn, but maybe just planting some seeds tonight. Well, and here's the thing. AEW doesn't always turn. People don't always turn. Eddie Kingston didn't turn heel when uh, he was feuding with CM Punk. He was just a dick to him. Darby Allen, he's kind of been a dick to people in, in in a feud here and there too. So AEW, I like the fact that you don't necessarily have to turn heel to do something you know fucked up to somebody you hate. You can just be mad at them, and that's okay. All right, Tony Storm versus Jamie Hader. People are very, very excited for this one. Two highly rated women athletes having a big, big time match. Finally, AEW is, you know, the women's division is coming together. We're getting the pieces together. We're getting the time together. I wish there was another match on the show, but I'm very excited for this one. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I love Jamie Hayter. She's like, like she was somebody who I just, I, I saw cold on AEW and then every week, she just does a little thing that just makes me like her more and more to the point of like I'm a really big fan now. And then Tony Storm, I I one of I probably might said my my best day I had at WWE 
was uh, was getting to work the Mae Young Classic. And Tony was one of those uh, performers that you saw, and you go like the second you saw, you're like, uh, she she's got it, she's got Superstore written all over. Her. And I kind of think in this in this case, as good as Jimmy is, I think he got to just run with some mo- momentum of this new Tony Storm debut. And so I think Tony's going to go over on this one. Yeah. So you mentioned the Mae Young Classic. Uh, I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about Under Siege, Mia Yim, who famously was signed uh, after her performance at, the, I think, the second Mae Young Classic, uh, made her return to professional wrestling uh, in the Impact ring. She came out as she did. It, so she she did the same thing Jeff Hardy did where she like did her dance and intro before making the save in the ring, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, man, I was so happy to see Mia Yim, uh, back at back wrestling back on impact. In fact, I know a lot of people, you know, think everybody needs to go to AEW, but I actually think impacts women's division is a little bit better. So, and she has a long history there and she's part of what turned that company around. So I'm very glad to see her there. She signed a six month contract. So maybe is isn't forever, but I think it's very, very cool uh, to see her uh, there and back. Tell me, and did you get to work with Mia while you were in WWE a bit? Yeah, well, the when we ran the May Young Classic, though, they sent two writers down there with them, and we basically produced all the interviews. So we did the sit down interviews with everybody on that first one. So we we basically did like kind of like a, a run through and got to talk to all of them, which was just really great to meet everybody. Um, although my favorite part of those interviews that we did because we interviewed all sixteen competitors and then the alternates, and my favorite part is, is everybody would talk about May Young and they would ask we had we had like a, some boilerplate questions to ask them like. So what do you think of Mae Young? And everybody's like, oh, man, Mae Young, she's a trailblazer. She's, like, a, the most incredible. Like, like, you know, she really blazed a trail for all the women, and she's one of the pioneers and one of the best the sport ever had. And then the next question would be, like, what's your favorite Mae Young moment? And that's where you catch which women only know her from getting powerbomb to the table or giving birth to the hand because they would all, like, freeze up and go, like, uh, I, I guess when she got powerbomb to the table. Like, <laughs> and that was just like, I felt like, I felt like we were swerving them, but it was like, it was the way they wrote the questions that we had to ask him like that. Uh, but it just felt, I felt bad for every woman that had to like put her over as this great legend and then be like, Oh, it was when she gave birth to a hand was probably my favorite moment. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe try this. Hey, how about the bull Nakano classic? I think most of them would have answers for that. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I love bull. Oh, you know, I got to, I was lucky enough, I because I, I lived in Japan for a bit, she had a restaurant, so I got to go there a few times and talk with her and even interviewed her. I was just listening to the tape of the interview uh, today. I have to uh, transcribe it sometime. But man, she was just great to talk to. She was, uh, and she has such an interesting uh, perspective on wrestling because she's, we forget, she started when she was like 16, like most of the Joshi women did, and she didn't really know who she was, but she was playing this big huge character like she thought when she was uh going to be a wrestler that she was going to be an idol uh wrestler like a cute uh wrestler but they made her into this monster heel which is the exact opposite of her personality and she said that she hated it and she cry every time she looked in the mirror at herself you know it's so funny though i i will say this bull nakano who just kind of like you know, she she definitely has a spot in wrestling history in a way that 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 I think that you can't take away, and she's always going to be kind of remembered. But I think that she still has something in her where she might cross over in a way that that like you know how like Shepard Fairey did the Andre the Giant pictures, 
I think there's like like somebody could use Bol Nakano as a logo or an icon, just like like her look and her like oh, yeah. vibe and everything that she did was so special that I still think there's like something to be had there. Um, it'll be like the cover of an album in 20 years or something. You know oh yeah, I mean? the yeah the Bull Nakano Sans uh is is coming. I think at some point. I like I'm waiting for because it there the I think the whole I actually think generally speaking the 80s and 90s Joshi wrestling is so much of what people say they want out of representation. Not representation as far as like um entertainment that's you know transgressive and not you know white male centered and you know different american centered and different and you know uh, and with you know cool fashion and action and all and music and and someone actually made a comment like you know what uh wrestler wrestling should do in america they were just talking about american wrestling they were like someone should copy like the k-pop uh style of branding uh groups and use that in american wrestling like buddy that's already a thing it's called joshi Wrestle. there's decades of it you should check it out I and I, I got to admit, I I was uh, when I was a tape trader guy back in the '90s. I was more uh, AJPW, uh, you know, Champions Carnival and the the whole Kings Road. Uh, that was where I lived, and I loved that stuff, and that's kind of deep in my heart. And I got, but during the pandemic, is the time we're all catching up on stuff. And I caught up on so much Joshi, and there was that match. And I'm gonna, I don't know the other woman's name, but it's it's uh, uh, Manami Toyota, and she had the hair versus hair match. Against Hamada, who did she have that? Hair? Yeah, it's Toshio against? Yamada, probably Toshio Yamada. Yeah, so she yeah, was in the, purple, the, the, right? Yep, the purple. But that finish where where they were going to shave Yamada's head, and then like Manami like fought them because she now respected her so much that she wasn't going to let them shave her hair, and then they're then like Yamada grabs the Clippers and she does it herself, and then they're both crying and they're both hugging. Like, yo, I mean, there is no movie there is no like television show there is like <laughs> nothing that it was as good as that like i've seen in in decades like that was like that was transcendent that was so good i mean just like all that emotion and the whole crowd is filled with like women just screaming their eyes yes. this is so intense yeah it's the audience is back then all teen girls all young women for the uh, massive shows professional wrestling one of the most interesting moments in popular culture i love talking about it i will talk about it again but we're going to go ahead and wrap up so we can get ready for aew tonight matt thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest can you please tell people where one more time where they can find you absolutely and, and sorry for the audio mishaps if i ever get to get to your show again I'll, i will make sure to be on my computer with some nice microphones for you and headphones so um, but find me um, at Matt Mazzani on Twitter, at Matt Mazzani on Instagram. On my Instagram, you'll find a lot of my wrestling photos from the indie shows I've been at. I shoot film. I try to make things feel like uh, old school wrestling magazines. Kind of my goal when I do those. Um, also, listen to Get It Again, a wrestling podcast. That is where uh, me and Andrew Kukowski and Stephen Lowe, uh, which is a former Lucha Underground writer and uh, a, a, a super host, uh, we all we all watch Thunder from start to finish. We're in the middle of 1999 right now. Look, so. I I don't like to invite myself on. That's a lie. It, I need to be on that show. I I I do that for fun. I watch Thunder for fun. Okay, you gotta get me on. Yes, yeah, so let me I, we'll, let me. We'll talk. We'll talk some times and dates. We'll get you hooked up. That that would be awesome. Awesome. All right. Awesome stuff. So I'm gonna leave you tonight with a promo from. 
a wrestler named AC Mack. Now, this is a man, you know, I'm a ring announcer, right? And now, and AC Mack is a menace to ring announcers across the world, but I got to give this man his due. He, he, can, he can talk the talk. So we're going to close it out with this promo from AC Mack. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. Peace. Thank you, Mack. Thank you. <laughs> Unsanctioned Pro, this is your new heavyweight champion speaking, the Mac of all trades, AC Mac. And I know what you're thinking. I know how you're going to react when I'm finally there live and in person. You're going to be upset. And I get that because I'm an outsider, right? I get that. However, however, you got a big show coming up on June 4th four-year anniversary of Unsanctioned Pro. And you know what that means. You know that means you need your heavyweight champion. (laughs) So I'm going to defend the championship there. I'm going to come there. I'm going to bless you all. And I'm going to put this championship on the line because that's what you need. You need me. But I've watched the product. And I have to say, I'm I'm not impressed, guys. This this hardcore, these death matches, that's just it's not my thing. And frankly, it's embarrassing. That's AC embarrassing. Mac. So what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to upgrade. We're gonna have to improve this product. So here's what we're gonna do. AC Mac is gonna put the unsanctioned pro heavyweight championship, Miss Unity is her name, on the line against Whoever steps forward. However, though, however, it's going to be a regular match. It's going to be a regular singles match. So whoever's on this roster, if you want to impress your champion, if you want to help improve this promotion, step up. (laughs) Peace.